Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people who are navigating STI stigma to mental health resources. My name is Courtney. Oh, wait, I already said that. <laughs> I should be introducing you, Malia, like Maria, but with an L. Correct, yeah. Yeah, so um, <laughs> you also completed the Something Positive for Positive People group therapy, the first one ever. Hopefully I we did. get a lot more to come. But yeah. um, you, along with everyone else, y'all set the stage for this. Y'all set the foundation for what the expectations are, how the foundation is going to be moving forward. Um, so tell me a little bit about your experience. I mean, I, I'm honored to be part of the kind of kickoff season of this, you know, it was kind of a godsend for me. Uh, my experience was, um, you know, everyone kind of comes from different walks of life and are at different phases and stages in their diagnosis and healing. And um, I think that was nice to have that aspect of like getting people's, you know, different takes on things and, um, you know, just to have it led by a therapist and kind of delving into some of these topics that you would delve in in therapy is just pretty priceless to me. You know, I, I it's kind of opened the floodgates for me as far as therapy goes. <laughs> um, but it was a really great experience. I mean, everyone was so cool and we just all, I miss them, you know, yeah. miss seeing their faces every week. So when you say open the floodgates to therapy for mm -hmm. you, what do you mean? I, I mean that it has opened my eyes to a lot of things and areas, um, you know, shown some light on some areas that I need to continue to work on. Um, and I think I shared with you kind of before I got started on this, that therapy was just kind of a luxury that I couldn't really afford. It didn't seem accessible to me. I mean, it's not to a lot of people, but I, um, you know, as a single mom, like the needs of my kids have always come first and trying to make it work on one income. There's just not a lot of extra resources for things like that, unfortunately. I mean, I definitely should have a long time ago invested in myself in this way, but, you know, just life happens and I couldn't. So, you know, I don't know if it's just kind of like the stars aligning and this kind of being in conjunction with where I'm at in my own journey. Um, that's probably part of it, but also just, like I said, it really shown some light and kind of opened my eyes to some things. We talked about things like boundaries and, you know, things like that, that just, again, it really shone the light on areas that I have to improve upon. Yeah. Um, thank you for saying that about therapy being a, uh, essentially it's a luxury. And I don't think that mm -hmm. anyone's healing process should be considered a luxury considering how pricey therapy is. I had someone who, yeah. she was in Kentucky, and I asked about rates because I was going to want to utilize her in Kentucky. She said she charges $170 per session. And I'm like, who can afford that? <laughs> like, right, because to get the most out of it, you need to be going, like, every week, like, yeah. ideally, in the beginning, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, who again, who can afford that? And, I mean, and, and any resources that I would have had to afford that, I've had to towards my my kids mental health you know yeah and it so. shouldn't be a choice you shouldn't have to choose like 
this or that. Uh, not okay. to say, like, obviously, food, air, water, shelter, safety. Yeah, These sure. are the top needs that we have, connection. Yeah, um, yeah. But that self-exploration that makes us the best, most stable um, and aware person that we can be for those around us, that is absolutely necessary so that we don't project that onto other people, especially you as a single mom. Yeah. How many children do you have? Yeah. I have two. Uh, my oldest is 19 and just moved out. Congrats. Um, well, thank you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was kind of a, it needed to happen kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then I have another son who is 13. Oh, so okay. pray, pray for me, two teenagers, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So this actually may have been like something that, well, it was group therapy. So I imagine you didn't really yeah. get to talk about your kids or any of the personal stuff that you were navigating yeah. with them, right? Right, right. Not, not a ton. I mean, it did... Um, there were times that we kind of just were able to share and, you know, there were some um, days that the topic was like stress and how you cope. And I definitely was able to share a little bit about, you know, being a single mom and there's just not time for me to deal with my own feelings, let alone process them and work through them. And, you know, you're kind of just going and doing the things that need to be done. And then the day's over and you get up and you do it all over again, you know? Mm-hmm. So you were able to make all of the sessions, or did you miss any at all? I had to miss one. Um, I forget why. Some kind of, you know, double booking or kids hockey, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I really do appreciate that despite what you have going on, like raising a family, um, especially as the head of household, like I watched my mom do it. And mm -hmm. I know that it is not an easy thing to do. And so for you to have been able to make this time for yourself to, I cannot believe you didn't tell me I had this pick in my head the whole oh, time. I, I, I wasn't judging. <laughs> I wasn't judging uh, at all. I was, you do you, you know? <laughs> for you to have been able to make the time and anchor this into your weekly routine, it really speaks volumes to me about the importance of having some sort of an anchor or a structural uh, fixed activity in your life that grounds you anchors you that no one can take you away from that is yours yeah. and when I say no one can take you yeah. from I mean obviously like there's emergencies that come up but yeah yeah <laughs> well and that my kids are old enough to where I can be like y'all I got a phone call don't bug me yeah unless someone is you know losing life or limb mm -hmm. but generally they can take care of themselves obviously if my kids were younger it's harder to carve out that time but um, you know, I think I kind of mentioned kind of where I'm at in my journey. And I think kind of for the first time in my life, I was a young mom, like I'm making myself the priority. So mm -hmm. that was, that was important. Just like the principle of it, you know? Yeah. How old are you? I am 39. Okay. 40 this year. All right. Good. Coming yeah. up, you know, 40s yeah. and 30, right? Especially with COVID. Actually, it should be the new 25. Yeah. That's, I, I, I hear that. But then you look in the mirror and you're like, <laughs> oh, you getting ready to have a hot girl summer or what? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Hey. I, I'm pretty busy. So, but, you know, part of this journey for me was kind of gearing myself up to be able to be at a place to put myself out there um, and pursue, you know, trying to find a relationship. I've been single a long time and, you know, it's something I really desire. It's, it's a piece of my life that I would like to 
explore. And that requires me putting myself out there. And that requires me being the best version of myself, or at least a healthy version of myself where I can recognize my patterns and have the confidence that it takes to get out there and, you know, put yeah. all my stuff on the, on the table, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I'm so very appreciative of you for not only, you know, connecting. I don't remember, I don't honestly don't remember how a lot of people ended up connecting and reaching out. But um, if I do remember correctly, um, no, there's no need to even go into that, actually. Uh, you showed up, and that really means a lot to me because a lot of people don't show up when they have to, like, when it's free. You know, if mm-hmm. something's being paid for for them, they don't yeah. value it. I can't tell you how many people have just, like, stopped showing up to therapy I can't get a hold of them. The therapist doesn't yeah. know what's going on. He's like, we scheduled an appointment, but no show. So Wild. to have had, you know, unfortunately, like I have to say this, but I more so appreciate you for just being able to make it. And I'm glad that this was something that meant so much to you, um, at yeah. least to the point of you being able to show up and do this for yourself. Yeah, it really did mean a lot to me. I mean, I I was not going to miss an opportunity for some affordable guidance and, you know, support through this, for sure. I, I It blows my mind that people do that. I mean, I guess maybe it doesn't because people are just, they be that way sometimes. I, and what I realized, like, a lot of people just kind of, like, they think they need something and then they kind of settle for something else by the time Mm -hmm. like if I have a conversation with someone that means they've been looking for the resources that are here they're looking for something that something positive for positive people provides otherwise they wouldn't have found it right so here in my opinion therapy is like the pinnacle of um, outreach for support because support groups are all over the place. You can find them anywhere. You can find dating groups. You can find dating. You can find so many different things in relation to your diagnosis. But when you're really ready to explore this, when you're really ready to heal and look at the, the stuff that not only herpes brings to the surface, but everything that brought herpes to the surface on an emotional level and on a mental uh, level, that can be intimidating. That is probably, like I said, the peak of what your healing is going to look like, to my knowledge, because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything else that's been more effective. I haven't seen someone come out and be like, I have herpes and I'm still dating. And then that person like be healed or going through their healing process. Yeah. It's more of like, like they're a, just totally OK. It hasn't faced them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So, no, you're, you're, you're totally right. I mean, and it's the willingness to be able to take a look at that, too. And, and that's not an easy thing to do and it's not a something that a lot of people are really willing to do it's 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 the mostly bad and ugly parts that you're you have to kind of take a look at you know and and like i said earlier i think the stars kind of align because that's definitely where i'm at yeah personally herpes kind of played a role in that um in a sense because i had an experience that was just like oh, okay we need to really get to the bottom of what's going on here you yeah. know and it just kind of stumbled upon your post or whatever and reached out and, and here we are. And I, I'm so thankful that it worked out this way. I am too. I am too. 
Um, so while we're on the topic, you mentioned your journey, your story mm-hmm. a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, are you open to sharing that with me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like, where do you want to start? Because I yeah. feel like I... <laughs> <laughs> Let's start how with... How much um, time you got, you Your know? diagnosis. Um, what were you diagnosed with? How long ago? And what was finding okay. out like for you? Yeah, so I uh, was diagnosed with HSV-1 about eight years ago. Actually had some uh, Facebook posts pop up that I was like, oh, yes, that was that was right when that happened. You know, and, and it was me at my kid's fifth grade graduation and I was putting on a brave face wasn't showing how devastated I was you know um I think I had probably had it for a couple of years and just didn't know I never had any symptoms but I had an outbreak that caused me to go to the doctor um I was seeing someone at the time they did not react very well they they got tested themselves they were negative so I I must have had it for a couple years I had no idea that could happen you know so I don't fully know where I got it but it's okay, you know, it doesn't, it's not uh, a crucial piece to the puzzle, so to speak. What made you get tested? So I had an outbreak. I was having something going on and I was um, not sure what was happening. I kind of, naively, I had, we had just been to this reservoir that's kind of gross and I was like, man, do I have some kind of infection? Like, what's happening? And it turns out, like, I got swabbed and it was, it was positive for HSV-1. Um, and I know you've been posting a lot about like the medical professional, medical professionals and how they respond. And I do have to say, like, it was not a negative experience for me. Um, I have worked in the medical field for a long time and I actually knew the people that I was going to see as a doctor. So I already kind of had a rapport and she, um, was fairly kind about it. I mean, not that there's a lot of resources, but she was pretty kind about it and kind of explained how it can happen and how common it is and things of that nature. So. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. Because I don't want anyone to think that I'm shitting on the neg- uh, the medical field uh, or the providers. It's mm-hmm. more of just like a system thing. The way that providers are taught, you know, to talk about sex or mm-hmm. not talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And the way that mm-hmm. people are taught to talk about sex. Like there's this huge disconnect when a patient and provider are sitting across from one another and herpes is on the table. So yeah. how one receives, how one delivers that information. Um, I use this analogy of like looking down on the floor, two people standing across from each other and there's a six from one person's perspective. On the right. other side, they're looking at a nine. So we've right. got to kind of communicate and work together to switch perspectives and see, oh, this is a six or it's a nine or it's just like a sideways six and a nine, Right. Um, right, right. But until, like, there, there has to be some sort of a, a middle piece there. And I believe that the shared experiences of people in the right spaces are what's going to be able to put that six in sort of like a rotation or something or mm-hmm. encourage people to converse with one another about this so that we can yeah. get on the same page and have consistent, trustworthy uh information when it comes to not just herpes and herpes stigma but also with the resources that follow and the experiences mm-hmm. to expect with it because people when yeah. they're diagnosed they don't know what to expect next i didn't know that yeah um i know it, it devastates people it blindsides them i mean it's you know i just had a friend reach out to me recently that was like so i know i haven't talked to you in a while but uh you shared a while ago about your diagnosis i just got diagnosed like 
need someone to talk to, you know? Yeah. Because it's just, you, you, like you said, those shared experiences, I mean, it, it helps you realize how common it is. And, um, yeah, it definitely would be nice if the medical field was kind of hip to that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of curiosity, how would you feel if that group therapy session was more so for people who've experienced a sexual trauma rather than exclusively a herpes diagnosis? Well, I, you know, I, I, I can't relate hugely in the sexual trauma area. I think most women have had some I'm dabbling in that, but um, gosh, I think sexual trauma is probably such a specific thing, you know, that um, they probably need a whole lot more help and work through, and it might be a more personal thing too. Um, but there is camaraderie in having shared experiences. I know that through a lot of other hardships I've gone through in life. I mean, support groups have been so clutch, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and maybe even like newly diagnosed people. You know, not that people that have been diagnosed for a long time can't struggle with it, but it definitely is. Um, man, if, you, if we could have had that information when we first were diagnosed and kind of set that set that precedence and been on the path of, of thinking about it in a positive way as opposed to having it just be this negative black cloud, you know? Yeah. So when, huge. when I say sexual trauma, I don't mean in the extreme of having experienced sexual assault. Um people that I've interviewed from the group therapy session have had uh, have had an assault happen to some mm-hmm. extent. Um, mm-hmm. It was recently brought into my perspective, and by recently I mean over the last like year, that an SCI diagnosis is a sexual trauma. Thinking oh, about it in that sense. Okay. Um, and so how, you know, an SCI diagnosis mm-hmm. um, to even like porn exposure, like something that mm-hmm. seems so harmless or just because it's not like the physical act directly involving another person. Um, yeah. I'm wondering what a support group would look like for people on the broad range of perspectives of uh, experiences. I'm sorry, not perspectives of yeah. the sexual trauma being in the room uh, or Zoom with I a therapist you. to talk through uh, whatever healing is going to hmm. look like for them. Yeah, that's an interesting spin on it. I guess um, in some ways I hadn't even thought about it in that way. You know, I mean, it is a traumatic experience tied to sex. So it's definitely, um, you know, putting that together, it, it, it does make sense in my book and it's worth exploring for sure. I, I hadn't even thought about it that way, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I guess this is a good point to announce this. Um <laughs> You are my last scheduled podcast interview. I believe you will be episode 199. And episode 200 is going to be how to get over herpes stigma. I'll probably just hit record and just talk for an astronomically long amount of time and just provide Mm -hmm. some consistent takeaways from the podcast. And then that is going to be it for the herpes stuff. Um, really? On the podcast. I want to move forward by acting in the way that I've encouraged people to behave, you know, when they come here. I want people mm-hmm. to come here, get what they need, and then leave and go on about their lives. So mm-hmm. it's important for me now to practice what I pre- preach. 
200 numerical podcast episodes about herpes and STIs exclusively is plenty. And now that we've got therapy in place, if people want to do something, these are all of the selling points for them to be able to do something. Episode 201, uh, I plan on bringing on Aaron Davidson, who wrote a book called Break Through the Breakup. And I want to expand my conversations more into that area because um, just like you said, you went into therapy for herpes, right? This was herpes Mm -hmm. therapy. And you left Mm -hmm. talking about boundaries. You left talking about self-care. I want to more so speak to people who are navigating life experiences and exploring their healing processes so that people can share, you know, let's say something positive from positive people, people yeah. who've gone through their healing process. So um, episode 201 should be like the official rebrand. I meet with my board of directors here soon to talk about that because honestly, I want to be able to get people therapy, period. Um, it's not the herpes and after having heard from you about how much of a luxury therapy is, like mm-hmm. that was just further validation that this is the right direction to go into. I also yeah. think that more people will be able to get behind an organization that is providing therapy to people who've experienced a sexual trauma. Now, that's going to be yeah. a lot more paperwork and a lot more education required on my end. But yeah. honestly, yeah. I'm here for it. Like, And again, you know, just hearing it from you, hearing it from... A lot of my recent podcast guests, a lot of recent people who found the podcast, it feels like this is the right direction to go into because, like I said, there's 200 plus podcast interviews that serve as support resources um, from people's experience with herpes. Uh, Season 2, episode 201, something positive from positive people is going to elaborate more on these conversations around boundaries, navigating abusive relationships, recovering from them, being able to break through the breakup even, uh, and even like to get back out and start dating again. I found myself having a lot of conversations that were really, really good. And somehow I have to remind myself, uh, oh, I have to bring this back to herpes somehow. And honestly, I'm I'm over it because it's not (laughs) about herpes anymore. Now it's about these behavior patterns it's about beliefs it's about yeah um, yeah it's about behaviors and beliefs human behavior definitely and so yeah that's where we're headed here and like i said you're my you're the last one <laughs> Ooh, man i saved the best for last right right <laughs> well congratulations on having that many episodes out there with just all these resources for people and and they're still out there right so these people can go back and listen to that and then you're stepping forward with a new, you know, set of information for people. And, and I would agree with you. I mean, herpes is just a small piece of the puzzle. It feels really big for a long time. You know, it definitely feels really big, but we're so much more than that, right? Yeah. There's so much more to the puzzle. I mean, it, yes. it is boundaries and being able to even acknowledge what your needs are, let alone vocalize them is, mm-hmm. is a big piece of that in closure, right? Like, Herpes is just a little part of that. It, it yeah. amplifies things, I think, is what it, what it does. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it in my life. It is amplified things. Yeah. Um, you know, and kind of without it, I'm not sure I would have found these areas that needed some work. But definitely it's less about the herpes and more about the belief structures around it. You know, like your how you feel about sex, how you feel about STIs, how you feel about, you know, 
so much more to it. Mm-hmm. And I also, um, I uh, woke up yesterday. It was yesterday morning. I woke up and I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm officially over this being about herpes. Like, I get called a herpes advocate and it's like, that's mm-hmm. if that's what you see me as, then there's a bigger problem. There's herpes education advocacy. There's SCI education advocacy. But this is truly about overall health. This is about sexual health. It's about emotional well-being. It's about mental health. It's about taking care of your physical health. And also taking care of your environment. Being able to like have the people in your space, like the energy that you're allowing in and what you're putting out and what you're investing in. It's about all of that. And even just with this conversation, like, as it started, 90% of the conversations with people were about herpes. And 10% were about the individual's, like, experience. So, in a way, when I started out, I was perpetuating herpes stigma. And this was something that I just couldn't have known until, you know, way later after talking to so many people. And really getting to understand that we're all human. And 90% of this should be about being human and 10% of it should be about herpes because that's where the power shift should be uh, when we're diagnosed. Like we should be yeah. reminded, hey, you know, nothing about you's changed. You're just going to have a lot of your attention and focus on this now. Uh, and that's just a normal part of the process. But here are some resources that can help you, you know, take away some of that energy that you're giving to herpes. It's really yeah. only an issue when physical symptoms present themselves and when you need to disclose to someone. That's it. Right. So That's when it. we're able to get to the point about that, uh, we'll see that any more attention given to that is actually something else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the stigma, like I, I have my own like internalized stigma, right? Like that was part of what I worked through in this therapy is like, it's my own, I, it, it has as much power as I give it, right? It's as big as I make it. And when I can look back on my life and all these hardships, all these struggles, all these crazy things that I've been through and like this is what I'm hung up on, like that was kind of a revelation for me. It was just like, girl. Yeah. Um, I got a couple of messages today on Instagram uh, that, and one of these was bad. I don't like how the interaction went um, and I can't... I'm not going to like share what the person said verbatim because this was a consent issue. So I often post on Instagram. I do like ask me anything where I ask people a question and I ask for responses either in a text box or if it's too long, send it to me via DM. And so as always, like I go through and I screenshot, remove people's identifiers and I'll just share it to the story. And I had someone do that in response to one of them. And I made it into a post. I, it was really long. So I messaged her okay. back and I was like, hey, uh, I'm going to read this and respond like later because it was like 8 a.m. I just woke up or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I go ahead and like I share it. I make it into a post and I put it up there and a couple of days go by and she sends me a message like blasting me about consent and not having asked her to if I could share it. And I was like, and then was upset that I didn't respond to her. Like I said, I would, I I read it and there wasn't a question. So it looked like she was just sharing. So I was very confused by this. And this was like, this was the 
first time that anyone has really had any issue with that. And for me to have, um, like, th this makes me more so uh, conscious of the conversations that need to be had outside of herpes, given it's about consent. And so I just like yeah. asked her questions. She just really wanted to be combative for some reason. So I didn't bother entertaining it. Um, yeah. In the event that, you know, she tries to attack me or some shit, like I've saved the screenshots in the folder. Because um, I even asked her, I was like, well, do I have your consent to present this to my board of directors? I didn't have to ask that because she reached out to an extension of the organization. My board of directors are the organization. But I right. didn't want to get into that with her. I think she was fairly young and just perhaps like angry that I didn't reply to her, but there wasn't a question. And I, I do that very yeah. often. Like if you ask me something, I'll, you know, give you an answer. But if we're just, if you're sharing in response to something, that's it. So that was one thing. And then the other thing, uh, having been, I got like a s sincere validation that it is in fact time to move on because of the story that someone shared with me about how you know she is married to the guy that gave her herpes. And I was right. like, tell me more. <laughs> so Yeah, it's, she, it's, not all, it's not all bad. We always hear the horror stories. I and mean, that's like watching the news, right? Like mm -hmm. you only hear the horror stories. And when you watch that and then you expect the worst, you know, that's kind yeah. of... And it's just outside of our perspective. Okay. So many more people who have herpes are more so in that headspace than negative. Um, one yeah. survey I did in 2019 was exclusively for people who listen to something positive for positive people. When I did that, 98% of people were depressed. About half of the people had suicide ideation. 25% of people like self-harmed, and that includes like cutting or excessive drinking. And 6% of people had attempted suicide. That was in 2019, uh, and only for the podcast. So. The statistics now are that uh, there were uh, three percent of people attempted suicide, but thirty-six percent of people had thought about it. It was something like thirty-six percent. The statistics yeah. are on the website, but uh, right. what that tells me, because this survey was also much more broad, it wasn't exclusive to podcast listeners. The people right. who are actively seeking support are in a much worse place than the people who just like, oh, hey. I listen to this podcast and I want this guy's looking for people with herpes to take the survey. Can you take the survey? Those are the kinds of people on the receiving end of that message who are probably just like, oh, it's not a big deal. When I get outbreaks, I take the medicine. And when I have to disclose, I disclose. It's as simple right. as that. And those are the people who are the leaders of not perpetuating stigma because Absolutely. it's very yeah. objective. It's just very like, Matter of fact, this is what it is. This is how I handle it. Mm -hmm. And I want yeah, to get more I mean, people to that place. I want for people to listen to this podcast, hear those stories, and be able to move on. But uh, my whole point about bringing up the lady who married the guy who gave her herpes is that she said that it was more about the connection. Like, she liked him. And mm -hmm. when she talked about her priorities, her priorities were the relationship. Is this someone that I see myself with long term? Like the right. herpes is just going to be there. You may or may yeah. not be with somebody else later who has herpes, yeah. right? So yeah. why is that such a priority to us? Yeah, I know. Why, why does it take this, take up so much space in our heads about, about, you know, 
and tie into our self-worth. I mean, do we just let that happen? Like, because of the thoughts we allow? I mean, I don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. but I would agree. Like it really is. That's how you overcome the stigma is really just not letting it be the 90%, right? Letting it be that 10% where it's just this thing. And if this person can't get past that and see me, then they, they're not for me. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's obviously easier said than done because no one likes rejection, but like there's a lot more to that. Yeah. Right. Like being able to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's come up uh, while you were in group therapy for me, individual therapy. Um, I interviewed my therapist. His episode will be on uh, shortly. Actually, yeah, in two weeks. His episode will be up in two weeks. Um, And for me in individual therapy, I recognized what my issue was with rejection. And you were in groups, so you weren't able to get super deep into that. But when you recognize like where this comes from, it's really just a matter of self-rejection. Fear of rejection is essentially yeah. self-rejection. You are rejecting yourself yeah. before you give yourself an opportunity to even be accepted by someone else. And when you start to see yeah. it that way, you can't unsee it. Like, right. I don't reject myself anymore. I recognize when I'm slow to do something or hesitant, and I have to give myself this emotional or mental push. I have to reach mm-hmm. out for support and ask someone to like help me with figuring this out. And that's it. But like, I now recognizing that, like, you can't, you can't stop me. Like seeing where that came from, I want, my intent for everyone is to see where their self limitations are, their self imposed limitations are, so that you can continue to move fluid. And when there's an external force that's really inhibiting your progression, then you deal with that. But Mm -hmm. we shouldn't get in our own ways. We shouldn't contribute to whatever barriers are in place that keep us from succeeding. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I, as part of my realization and on my journey recently, it's just been how much I've held myself back. I mean, it's, it's been me. It hasn't been any, obviously there's been a lot of like life circumstances that are out of my control, but at the end of the day, like when it comes to me finding a relationship, being single, not being single, like I have been the one that's held myself back and like this repeated string of, unavailable people like I had to realize and take a look at my own unavailability you know my own fears attached to intimacy my you know I I have my own unavailability as well even if I am open to the idea of things like when it comes down to it you know it's yep. it's, it's on me mm-hmm. yeah that's it this it. is really like this is validating for me this, this conversation, this exchange, this dialogue, um, because even for me, I think that I've held myself back in relation to something positive for positive people. And in holding myself back, I'm holding back this organization and holding back this organization. I'm holding back this podcast. I'm holding back the people who listen to this podcast. So mm-hmm. it's important that the transition be one that shows people that at a certain point in your life, you got to be willing to transition and welcome in whatever it is that's to come Uh, no matter how scary it may seem no matter how unpredictable or how unstable or how insecure it may make you you know uncomfortable yeah if you're breathing you can handle it it's as simple as that Um, yeah absolutely and like you said once you see it that way there's no turning back that's the leaf that has been turned 
And I mean, I've said it a lot recently where it's like, I don't really know what this looks like on the other side, but I just know I'm not doing that anymore. Like I'm not going to be that person that does that and says that and presents themselves this way. I don't necessarily know how to embody being a person that is the opposite of that, but I'm not going back there. Mm -hmm. Um, In my therapy, we talk about this lower caps self and a all cap self and that default behavioral pattern is lowercase self and the person who can observe that that behavior is taking place or about to take place is the caps lock self because you're operating from a place of choice so that you can do something different and uh to to break that pattern so that that's the kind of stuff that we can get out of this therapy thing and like I said, it shouldn't be a luxury. And that's what Something Positive for Positive People is here for. So that yeah. it doesn't have to be a luxury. So I, I'm feeling real good about changing the podcast name to Something Positive from Positive People for Season 2. And then continuing to have Something Positive for Positive People as the organization. Being able to get people who've had a sexual trauma into therapy. Because when we can get to the point of healing our sexual shame, I think that we're able to be more creative because that sexual energy is creative energy. And when we're in the process of healing that, like we're able to go off and heal others. And it's through sex that we can begin to exercise boundaries, identify abuse, manage our relationships better, and just overall walk out in our healing process, uh, making that be what's contagious. Our healing should be contagious. And that's well, what you're, you're going to heal the world, Courtney. Uh, I mean, hey, <laughs> out, out there healing, healing people in this way and, and providing those services. I mean, it's, it's, there just aren't words for how meaningful it is to people like me. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people. It may not be for everyone, but it's just hugely meaningful. And, you know, you're so right. Healing, healing that aspect. It, you know, that aspect is really the practice of all these things, right? And, and when you have like some downfall, uh, some, I don't want to say weaknesses, but areas that need improvement or practice, you know, it, it really is either have it or you don't in those, in that moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm at now. I mean, like I said, you're the last interview and my focus <laughs> and attention now has been on uh, reaching out to university clinics and trying to get the survey results that came in into as many schools as possible so that when kids in college are diagnosed, they have somewhere to go. Um, I think that these are the people more likely to find and listen to a podcast. So uh, podcast listens go up, the resource circulates within that community, and as these people become... Uh, adults and graduate from college and go into their work fields and go out into the world of dating, we've got a much more sex positive up and coming generation at the age of, unfortunately, you know, let's say they're diagnosed by 20, you know, it'll take a few years maybe for them to get through it. But my hope is that they're given this resource right away so that they can choose how they're going to navigate it moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it would be great to get this information in the hands of healthcare providers for them to see the discrepancies that are out there. I mean, I I don't know that they are aware. I mean, sexual stigma, STI stigma, like they're not immune to that just because they're a healthcare provider. I mean, I think I saw somewhere in one of the online resources that healthcare providers get like a half a day training on it. Like it's just not something 
and and really it's so big to the people that it affects that really is is a shortcoming of the medical field and if we could get that information into them and their staff i mean i can't tell you how many times well it hasn't been that many times but there have been times i've gone to the doctor for you know issues related and like the looks you get from the ma's you know like just the judgment it's it makes it discourages you from going mm-hmm. you know so yeah. that that definitely and also, like, the way that people deliver a diagnosis is STD prevention. Um, they don't have these post-diagnosis support resources on hand. I don't know if they're not recognized or if it's just not in line with the organization's or institution's values. But right. what I'm seeing is that an integration of these post-diagnosis support resources with STD prevention efforts is going to um, give people the empowerment, the confidence, the resources and tools that they need in order to go off and disclose to people. How often it is that someone receives their diagnosis from a a medical professional, the way that they receive it often impacts not only how they disclose to a next partner, but if they disclose to a next partner. How many people are being told you don't have to disclose, just wear condoms, as long as you're not having an outbreak, you're fine. That's what's perpetuating not only STI stigma, but it's also increasing the chances of people unknowingly exposing themselves to herpes when it don't, yeah. when it doesn't have to be. If it's sure. more common that people are able to go off and have a conversation with their partners about their sexual health and their positive diagnosis, then that in itself is going to be something that makes people who don't have herpes a lot more comfortable talking about it. I look Absolutely. at it just like with the LGBT community. The more allies there are, you know, I don't have to be someone who has sex with men in order to, when I hear a gay joke or when I hear, you know, something that is harmful to someone who is a man who does have sex with men, like I can speak out against that. It's the same thing with our STI status. If people around me know that I have herpes, when someone tells them they have it, like they can be like, oh, well, my friend Courtney does this thing. How many mm-hmm. more people, you know, are just kind of like hiding in fear of something happening that is so not likely to happen, which is just like, I don't know, being outed. And even if you're outed, what's going to happen? Is that person going to not sleep with you and right. you had no intention of sleeping with them in the first place? Or is right. that person going to also have herpes and be like, hey, let's do this. Like, I got it too. Right. What's going on? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, or, or even like, you know, the people walking around out here with their cold sores feeling like, well, I don't have herpes, though. Like, yeah. really? Yeah. That's probably how someone like me got it, to be honest with you, you know? Mm-hmm. But not realizing that that transmission can take place, too. It's just, it's sad. Yeah. Sad how much, how much misinformation and miseducation is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you mentioned uh, you'll miss everybody from the group therapy so uh, on Facebook, I've just started saying this, there's a Something Positive for Positive People podcast community. I think that that's where I'm going to direct people who are done with uh, the therapy services. If awesome. they want to um, be a part of that community and stay in touch yeah. with people. Uh, so yeah. that's there. I was going to delete it because like, I'm the only person that posts it. It's got like 70 people in it. I'll post oh, really? and be like, hey, everyone, just checking in. How are you? Or. What are your thoughts I'll on join. this? Yeah. <laughs> Count me in. Count yeah. me in. I love it. I love the community. I love the camaraderie. And I mean, it's always good to just have someone 
to turn to when, when it is something that, you know, the people in your life that may be supportive, but they still just don't get it, that you can talk to them about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So Huge. that's uh, that's where I'm at. That's my plan. Um, I guess, is there any words of encouragement that you have perhaps for someone who may be considering group therapy as a stepping stone or therapy period uh, in relation to your experience? Well, I, I think therapy is always worth it. It's never going to do any harm, right? It can only help you um, discover more about who you are and how you function. Um, and I just, uh, everybody needs some therapy. We all live messy lives and we all need some therapy and some perspective on things. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I got. Thank you so much, Malia, for being here and sharing your experience. And uh, yeah, I appreciate this, you so this much. This is fantastic. And thanks for you know being here for the final interview of something wow, positive for positive people. <laughs> uh, Turn and leave. Turn and leave, Courtney. It's all aligned with where I'm at. So I'm here for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player and listening platform. I am on social media at H on my chest. And if you want to donate to the organization, please don't hesitate to do so. I can't believe my PlayStation's going crazy right now. Do you hear that? I unplugged I, I the heard a little. Yeah. I unplugged the refrigerator and now there's just this. <laughs> I mean, Mercury retrograde is supposed to be over, but I can't tell you how many like weird things I have going on just in the past couple of days. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, my ex text uh, called me on the last day of retrograde. <laughs> really? Yes. You're like, get out of here. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was. I wanted to talk to oh, her because okay, uh, well that's good. Yeah. We do this thing where like we when we block each other or don't go with we go without any contact, we bump into each other somehow or connect, and then it's all like rainbows and sunshine and then we have sex and then we date a bit and then we're like why did we even do this i hate you i remember why and so yeah it was was, it's always just been nice to have the lines of communication open because there's like this depressurization of that tension building so we've been able to just communicate every like six to six months to a year yeah Uh, just say hey yeah that's it um that's good till next time Stay six positive.